New Horizon. And good stuff. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, we just bask in your presence right now, God. We thank you so much. We thank you so much that you want to be with us. You're not looking to separate. You're not looking to stay away from us. You're looking to be with us. You're, you're knocking down every wall to be with us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This week I was listening to a podcast. A man was preaching on the Holy Spirit, which I love. I, I love learning more about Holy Spirit. But... Uh, in that, I I, uh, I love looking at and studying about the revivals that have happened in our time, and every revival that I can see happening and starting and firing off is by the people just surrendered in a place where Holy Spirit can come. People are in a place they've opened their hearts, they've opened their minds, they've They've opened everything about them to Holy Spirit. And just a few simple words have just ushered in such a presence of the Holy Spirit and started revival. And that was, welcome Holy Spirit. Come. Holy Spirit, come. And I look at the Jesus movement uh, among the hippies back in the early 70s. And it was simply started by one man surrendering himself in the moment and saying holy spirit and when that when when he's just when he knows he can move among you i mean if you're saved you've got holy spirit and he travels with you he goes with you he's with you everywhere he's with you in the best of times he's with you in the worst of times he's with you in the good he's with you in the bad but it's it's when we it's when we sacrifice ourselves and say, Holy Spirit, come. So as I was reading and listening to this podcast and listening, uh, reading my Bible, in John it says that there is one coming. There, John the Baptist says, there is one coming. I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me that will baptize you. He said, I'm not even worthy to, stri- to, to, to buckle his sandals. He said, there's one coming after me that I'm not worthy of buckling his sandals that will bring the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. And fire. See, sometimes we miss the fire. We got the Holy Spirit. We're welcoming Him. We've got Him in. Let me tell you something. In the Old Testament, sacrifice meant killing and putting it on the fire. So this morning, I just want to say this from myself. And I want you to say it from yourself, if you really mean it, come Holy Spirit and fire. Okay, I'm more excited about it than you are, right? So this morning, come Holy Spirit and fire. Fire of God fall. God, we thank you. We praise you. Burn up this sacrifice. Burn up this sacrifice of who we are. God, we lay ourselves on the altar, on your fire, and fire of God, come. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Let it bring joy. Let it bring peace. Let it bring the fullness of your love to to our lives, God. Take us to the next level of love for your people.
for your people, for people, for humanity. God, let it take. That's the only way, God, that we're going to overcome is by loving your people. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, we give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise for what you're going to do in this place today. God, I thank you that marriages are going to be repaired. I thank you that hearts and lives are going to be repaired. I thank you that broken hearts are going to be repaired. Father, I thank you that the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to repair the breaches in our life. We thank you. We praise you, God. You are so good to us. Come, Holy Spirit, and fire. Come, Holy Spirit, and fire. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Uh, well, can you all give a hand clap for our, our worship team today? I love it when all the instruments are up there, but this stripped down deal was, I mean, it was it was powerful this morning. Amen. So good job, guys. All right, if you would turn around and tell somebody hello, give them a high five, tell them you're glad to see them this morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Have you all recovered from the stampede yet? Okay, then do it. Get recovered. This is a this is a good time. Not right now is a good time to do that. Don't go to sleep and recover now. But when you get home this afternoon, go ahead. Uh, my name is Darren Gleghorn. I'm the lead pastor here at Cowboy Church. And I just want to say welcome. Thank you all so much for spending your morning with us. It's going to be a good morning. And those who didn't show up today are going to miss out. But you probably know them, and it's up to you to, to help them out, all right? All right? All right. All right. Well, it's good to see you all this morning. I want to welcome our Kingdom Ranch family out in Merced, California. Thank you all for joining us this morning. We love being with you. We love having you a part of this congregation, even though you're many, 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 many miles away. We love having you. Uh, thank God for technology because you get to be here with us this morning. So welcome. Um, so with that, this is the first of the month. So at the first, of the month, first Sunday of the month, we pray over tithes and offerings. If you're new here, we don't do tithes and offerings the way that most churches do them. I mean, we don't pass a plate, don't pass anything, put something under your nose to make you feel guilty to, to give something. And that's not our style. That's never been our style. That's not the way we've done things. There's a scripture in 1 Kings where it talks about um, the temple needed some some tending to, and and God commanded them to take a box, bore a hole in the top of it, and set it at the door of the of the tabernacle, so that people could give, and it would fill up. It would fill up every every weekend. So we've taken that concept and that uh, principle, and we've applied it here at Cowboy Church, and that's the way we do offerings around here. Um, like I said, thank God for technology. We can do it online. So just pretend there's a board hole in a box. And, or you can back here at our doors going out, there's a table back there with a hole in the top that you can put your offering in if, if you want to. Um, as I was looking to see what I was going to say this morning, 
In Psalm 35, 27, it says that God takes delight in the prosperity of His servants. Those who serve Him, those who walk with Him, those who are believers and followers, God takes delight in your prosperity. He wants to see you prosper. And I, and I know that there's, you know, there's some people out there going, well, you know, the prosperity preachers, all that kind of thing. Um, you know what? That's, that's, a, that's a bunch of bunk. I think that, I think Christians, all Christians, preachers or not, should be the most prosperous people in the world. Because, because prosperity isn't about how much money you have or what your bank account looks like. Prosperity is what God has given you that you have enough for your household and another's household. That's prosperity. That's true prosperity. And God takes delight. But it comes around in money as well. Monetary prosperity. And I believe that God wants us monetarily prosperous. All of us, not just preachers, but, but all of us. And so I was looking at a, a scripture in 1 Samuel 25, and um, David, King David, uh, when he was king, he uh, came into contact with a, with a very rich man. And this very rich man was kind of sour. He just kind of mean, kind of grumpy, kind of grouchy. Have you ever run into somebody like that? Especially if they have a lot of money. You know, they, they just feel like everybody's after their money or their finances. But I mean, when King David runs into him, King David had more money than he did. He was more prosperous financially than this guy was. Anyhow, as you read the story, in verse 6, it comes down and, and God is telling David to go to this guy. His name is Nabal. And um, after the guy died, David ended up marrying his wife. And she was hot, is what the Bible says. So I believe in prosperity and hot wives. So come on, come on. Amen. That, that ought to be enough for you right there. We can go home on that, but we're not going to. But in verse 6, God commands David and he says, And thus you shall say to him, Nabal, who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace be to your house, and peace to all that you have. See, that's what prosperity should do. It shouldn't make us grumpy. It shouldn't make us better than anyone else. It should bring peace to our lives. The guy didn't have peace, even though he had prosperity. But God commanded David to go to him and say, because of your money, because of what you have, peace on your house. Peace to you. Not cursing. He said peace. Because you have everything you need. You have everything you need to pay your bills. You have everything you need. Even if you don't have enough to pay your bills, lean into God and He is our true prosperity. And, and that's, when we're dealing with God's prosperity, we're gonna give to His house. We're gonna give to His house. We're gonna, we're gonna obey in tithes and offerings. And that's only, the only thing that we ask you to do. And we're not asking you to even give here. I mean, if you if God tells you to give here, give here. But if He tells you to give to another ministry, give to another ministry. But put it where God tells you to put it, and you'll see prosperity begin to rise up in your household. And it'll come through peace. It'll come through peace. You won't worry about a thing because you have the peace of God. So as David did, I declare over you peace. Peace. As you give today, as you have given in the past, I declare peace over your household Peace over your life. Peace over your family. Peace over your neighbors. Peace over every place you put your foot. Peace over you. Amen? Amen. Amen.
So with that, let's let's pray over your finances. If you've given in the last month or if you're committing to give, man, this prayer is for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you so much for who you are today. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here. I thank you that you're resting upon us and you're resting upon our pockets, upon our bank accounts. You're resting upon us because of the place of peace is on us. So God, as prosperous people, as prosperous people, God, I pray that peace would come upon our households and the true prosperity of who you are would envelop us in in the community that you have us in. So God, I pray that those who give here, I pray I pray blessing upon their house, on everything that they do, everywhere they put their hand, will prosper. I thank you. We praise you. We give you glory and honor for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So this morning... Yeah, you can give the Lord a hand clap if you want to and all of that. I mean, I, this morning I have an awesome opportunity, um, and I don't want to waste that opportunity because this is an opportunity that's been working for almost 30 years. Um, no, we're over 30 years. I think 91 is whenever we, we really started getting to know one another. But my best friends from Oklahoma are, are here this morning. And God has called them into a ministry. I mean, we've, we've walked in, they've seen a, Lynette and I step into ministry and, and they've stepped into ministry. We, we're just thrilled of what God is doing for them because their passion for, for the body of Christ is to see prosperous marriages, to see marriages that are, that are fulfilled and, and real and, and 100%. I mean, that is, I don't like goals very well, but that is a goal. I mean, once you reach a goal, where do you go from there? God has more. Let's just say that. And if you're prosperous in your marriage, let me tell you, God has more. And you're going to hear more this morning. Where to, how to, how to prosper in your marriage. Their ministry is called Marriage with a Purpose, right? Marriage for, for? Huh, okay. <laughs> they're my best friends and I don't even know what they're... <laughs> Anyhow, um, I, without further ado, I'm just going to let them get up here. My best friends in the world and who love and support us, we love and support them. If you all would, would you give a Cowboy Church welcome to Grant and Stephanie Gardner. <laughs> I don't know if I'm on or not. Can, am I? All right. Am I on? Yes. That's great. Usually I'm the one that turns her on. Yeah. <laughs> but today... Thank you. Yeah, there we go. I'm on. Hey, <laughs> so, man, i got to do something first and foremost. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Don't cry, Grant. <laughs> Don't cry, Grant. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. know it. I know it. But you taught my message. Yeah. <laughs> We're wow. Done. We're done. <laughs> the music was awesome. I've never done this in my life, but yeah! <laughs> my God. Was that good? Fantastic. I don't even know where to go. So do you all like messages about blessing and getting blessed and having a blessed marriage? You're in for a great disappointment. <laughs> wow, we got all kinds of Bibles up Because here's the deal. We pray for icing, and God's trying to build cake. Mm-hmm. 
We want you to bless me, bless me, bless me. And I am for that. I will never talk against it. But Stephanie and I are here today to hopefully give you some ingredients on how to bake a cake. Okay? You see, I was thinking about this this morning, actually. When you go to bake a cake, there's all this, you know, eggs and, you know, not a whole lot of people. Some people like to just crack an egg and down it. I'm not a boxer. I don't do that. But some do. I like to put all that stuff together, mix it up. But in our marriage, God, I'm still so excited. I know, you are excited. I can feel it. I can feel it. It's like there's electricity. This is crazy. I promise you, I've never been like this. Um, But in our marriage, it is so important that we are okay with the fire as much as we are with the ingredients. Okay? So we don't tend to like that. We tend to, like you were saying, Lord, bless me. Let's have lots of loving. <laughs> Let's have lots of food on the table. Let's do all this stuff. And the thing really is, is he's just trying to create in us. He created us on purpose for a purpose. Yeah. By the way, our married or things called forever with purpose. We are members go. of married for a purpose, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, so he created us on purpose for a purpose. And when he brings you together as a married couple... He created that marriage on purpose for a purpose. So, as we move into this, and I, like, dude, it can only go downhill from here. Because, I mean, this is so freaking awesome. (laughs) I just love that. I was just like, wow, man. (laughs) This was good. So, I just want to give you a few scriptures first, um, because due to time, we probably won't turn to a lot of them. But uh, James 2.17 will be one of our foundations. Romans 8. 28 and 29, Genesis 37 and 41. Those are my foundations. She'll add more to hers later. And she'll probably actually have you turn because that's the way she does things. I'm kind of bossy that way. Yeah, she's kind of bossy that way. (laughs) So, Stephanie and I have been married for this September 39. I was hoping you were going to get it right. Years. Why are you always nervous when your husband kind of pauses like, I can't yeah. remember how many years you've been married. <laughs> well, when you're married 39 years, it's not all good. It just can't be, okay? I mean, live life. We had uh, probably the first five years was completely turmoil. Um, we finally moved into a time where our son was born. And... In no way am I giving glory to God for what happened to our son. But I'm giving him him glory for what came out. Mm -hmm. 30-some years still gets to me. You see, our son was seven weeks old, and he started running 104, 105 fever. And we took him to the hospital, and and the doctors told us, they said, uh, we think he has spinal meningitis. I was about as heathen as you could be at that time. I was running from God. I got saved at five years old and started running almost immediately. (laughs) I mean, running was fun. I mean, you know, you thought until you needed God. So I looked at the doctor and I said, uh, well, my God heals. And then Satan started screaming, who are you talking about? You don't know God. There's no God. I'm like, wow. 
I don't know what I was talking about. But you know, God sometimes loves you so much that he'll just grab your tongue and make you say something so the authority can go out there and do a miracle. You know, I'm on that I don't believe in living miracle to miracle. But boy, when they come, they're nice. So I'm sitting out there, and we, we were hearing him cry, and he had like, um, God, we counted 30-some holes in him where they were taking blood and giving him shots, and it was just horrible. And he's just screaming at the top of his lungs. And I said, uh, you know, I'm still, I'm still in the what God mode. You know, what God, what God. And then have you ever seen the Disney movies when you have the little goofy on one side and I think it's Pluto actually. And then on the other side, and one's an angel and one's Satan. And it was just like that. And I heard Satan say, you just got him and I'm taking him. Then the other shoulder. I heard Jesus say, I gave him to you. He's yours. And that's, like I said, 30 some years. And I still can't move past it. That's how awesome our God is. Well, what happened after that was, is I gave my heart to Jesus. I brought him home, sat him in the floor, said, God, I'll serve you the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. So, what I'm trying to say with this is, God did his part, but he still required me to do mine. I had to confess why he was in the hospital. Didn't realize that's what I was doing. Learned that later. And then I had to give him my heart and start serving him. Mm -hmm. But he gave me that opportunity. That's where the miracle came from. That's what it was for. So over that time, what me and Stephanie learned, and we learned it all by default, and that's what we really hope to help you all with is that it doesn't have to be by default that you can take it and apply it because someone else lived it already. Mm-hmm. And that is to learn to take responsibility for what your part is. Mm-hmm. Now, responsibility, I love that word because I went and looked it up in Latin. And it's um, responses or something like that. You know, I can't pronounce anything but English, and I'm not good at that. <laughs> um, but it means your ability to respond. Which I thought was pretty cool. Because what I'd learned was, is me and Stephanie wasn't choosing our response when we talked to each other. We were just responding. And so life got so much better when we started choosing that response. What do you mean by that? Well, how many here have watched a baseball game? Anybody? Great. Oh, lots of baseball it's really games. bad when nobody watches baseball. <laughs> a major league pitcher can throw roughly at 95 miles an hour. From the time it leaves his hand till it hits the catcher's mitt, mitt is 0.45 seconds. 45 hundredths of a second. It takes the human 0.25 seconds, 25 hundredths of a second, to even register the ball left his hand. We are now down to point two seconds left, and the batter says, ball, strike, swing. That's pretty amazing. So all of you in here that's sitting there saying, I just get blind rage. She just triggers me, and I'm ticked off, and, you know, I just can't control it. Really? you got point two seconds to make a better decision. Than that. <laughs> now, here's how you do it a little easier. <laughs> Plan... Ahead. 
I mean, if you've been married more than 30 seconds, you've had the same argument more than once. So why not take that argument and say, next time I choose to respond this way. And then when you fail next time, don't get in condemnation. Say, next time I'm going to be a little bit better than I was that time. Okay, we've been doing this for 39 years. We still stink some days. He does. (laughs) I can't even deny that. (laughs) So, if you'll just take a little bit of time and, and start preparing in advance, I believe you can start seeing your marriage turn around quicker than you thought. So, what I want you to see is back to the kind of the cake mindset. What that is is, God's trying to do something in you. And you're probably, if you're like me, you're trying to pray against the ingredients because you don't like them. Because you want to avoid the fire, right? So when um, we pray for God to remove, change, and fix the very things he's saying, let me use to grow you into the person I want you to be, Life gets a whole lot better fast mm-hmm. when you start saying, yes, Lord. Amen. Our job's to submit to his will. Mm-hmm. And that's why, I mean, I do. When you are like, you not get your prayers answered the way you wanted them? Most of the time. <laughs> it's so rare they're like, I wanted them. It's unreal. But, man, it's been so glorious watching. I mean, how long? Like 39 years, people. It's probably the last five or six we went from good to great. And even in great, there's a place to get better. Mm -hmm. I am so tired of people being okay with their marriage. If you're, if you're a roper, are you okay with second, third, fourth place? You say, next time, or not even qualifying? You know, do you ever go into a restaurant and say, Lord, or Lord, yeah, Lord, (laughs) Uh, go into a restaurant and say, I want your average table here at this average restaurant. And can you give me the average food that you serve? Are you really happy with that? I've never been happy with just average anywhere in my life. And we shouldn't be happy with our walk with God. And we shouldn't be happy with our walk with our spouse. Ever, no matter how good it is, we work every day on being better and living a married life that represents to our kids come up here. And that's what we keep striving for. So it is really important that we use prayer not as an aspirin to get rid of the a headache and the problem for the headache is still there. So what we want to do is we want to say, God, show me in this situation what I should do. You know, most headaches, how many had drinking years? Over drinking years. Let me rephrase it. All right. Praise the Lord. Enthusiastic drinking. Do you know, you know why you had a headache the next day? You were dehydrated. Yeah. Do you know why you have a headache most of the time, whether you drink or not? You're dehydrated. So quit running to the aspirin and start fixing the problem. Go get you a glass of water. And that's what we have learned to start doing. So Stephanie and I, we are not living the marriage we live 
right now because God came down and healed our marriage. We are living our marriage right now because God came down, healed our heart, and we started working on our marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amen. You know, um, Ephesians 2.10. So I, I love the Word of God. I love it so much. I love all the translations. Whoop, there's that little <laughs> spot in the carpet. I love all the translations. So instead of having you turn to everything, if you want to just make some references to what I'm going to give you, because I feel like, I don't feel like, I know. That in this world, the power to transform anything in your life, anything, yourself, your personal growth, your marriage, your family, anything, comes from the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. Okay. So if you're starting something in your life, if you don't know where to start and you don't know, well, I don't even know what to do. In the beginning. So I'm going to begin to give you some scriptures today. It's your responsibility to write them down, to take them this week. If you truly care about growth in your personal life and your marriage, begin to read these. Begin to meditate these. Begin to say these out loud to yourself. Because this is a foundation of where transformation is going to come in your life. Because it's not just about change, is it? We can change. I can change my diet. But if I'm not seeking a lifestyle, I don't ever transform. And therefore, I never accomplish forever what I really want. So that's what this is about today. So Ephesians 2.10, I specifically like, I think it's the NIV, um, and then also Psalms 139. I think the ESV is, is a really great one. But this talks about that we are God's handiwork. We are created for good works in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has planned in advance for us to do. Psalms 139 is just beautiful. I, this, I think the passage, the scriptures are like starting in 13, verse 13. Wow, guys. If you want to know how God sees you, if you want to know how intricately beautiful and authentic you are, this is the place to start. Ladies, I'm a lady, so I'm going to speak to you for a moment. If you're struggling with identity, if you don't think I'm not beautiful enough, I'm not confident enough, I don't know how to be the wife that God wants me to be, start to see yourself the way God sees you, right? Because he created you. He created you on purpose the way you are. He created you for a purpose from the beginning of time, right? So think about that. It wasn't just, oh, I got saved, so God now decides, oh, you're saved. Now i got to figure out what to do with this. From the beginning of time, he gave you a purpose from the beginning of time. You are a handiwork Some of the translations say masterpiece, poetry. I mean, I'm a hit from Oklahoma, but I'm smart enough to realize those things are valuable. When you see something that's a masterpiece, that's personally hand-created as a -a one-of-a-kind, that's not something to take lightly, is it? That's beautiful. And Bailey, when you talked about when we are seeing only our circumstance... Uh, I love to tell just the, the thought of this. When you begin to see yourself the way God sees you, when you begin to see your spouse the way God sees them, you begin to gain from God's perspective. You are no longer looking at, Ugh, I just wish he wouldn't wear those pair of pants. He doesn't have any fashion sense and he won't listen to me. Instead of doing that, if you begin to see how God created your man, He created him to take care of you, to be powerful, to have authority in your life, right? Begin to see that, and all of a sudden, your perspective changes a little bit, right? So begin to see yourself the way God sees you and have that perspective change. 
So according to these scriptures, according to those two scriptures, we are designed and created by God. And we are designed as a beautiful piece of art. So turn to your spouse, or if they're not your spouse, just turn to the person next to you and say, you are one, I mean, do it. Say, you are one fine work of art. You are one fine work of art. All right. How many of you felt really good when somebody told you? Did you tell Lynette? Okay. I was going to say, I didn't see you. So how, how many just felt good having somebody say, really? I'm fine. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? So the power of your words when spoken from the foundation of God's word creates such an impact in not only your own life, but in your marriage as well. So what I love about this idea that God's created us unique is that it doesn't just apply to us as individuals. It also applies to us in our marriages. If he created us on purpose for a purpose and he brought us together, he didn't do that by accident either. He didn't say, oh, you're going to get married? Okay, let's see. What can I do? Rhett and Riata, what, what, Rhett and Riata. Oh, did you hear what I just said? Rhett and Lacey. <laughs> we are not in Oklahoma. So. <laughs> You're in Colorado. <laughs> Rhett and Lacey. When you guys proposed to each other, got married, God didn't then say, oh my gosh, I got to think about really quick. They're getting married in nine months. I got to hurry up and think about what I can do with their marriage. Oh, no, 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 no. He knew each of you. And he loved each of you, and that's your responsibility to find out and discover who you are. But when he brought you together, he also held a plan and a purpose for that unity as well. So here's the idea. Two are better than one. Okay? When we bring two together, the strength of that is manifested in so much greater strength than just each of us on our individual things, right? So it's important to begin to have an idea of, instead of focusing on what is going wrong, I'm going to start focusing on what God is bringing together. Woo, bringing together. Um, because God's plan and purpose for us as individuals, because, you know, there's people in here that aren't married. I get that. So this is not, marriage is a picture of God's covenant with us, right? So even if you're not married, or even if you don't think you ever will get married, you don't get to be quiet and not listen to today. You get to still participate and listen because God's plan for you is to make him known, to bring him pleasure, and to demonstrate his unconditional love. People say, I don't know what my purpose in life is. We'll start right there. In the beginning, God had a plan for you, and it was to make him known, to bring him pleasure, and to demonstrate his unconditional love. A few verses back up in Ephesians 2.10, I think it's 2.7, it says, I'm going to read it so I don't mess it up. Throughout the coming ages, this is a passion translation, which is amazing if you guys don't know that one. Throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display, the visible display of the infinite, limitless riches of his grace and kindness. Wow, is that not rich? We talk about evangelism. We want evangelism. I, you, our marriage, your marriage. It is designed to be the visible display every single day of God's grace. Now, for some of us, this can be hard to imagine, depending on what season of life you're in, in your marriage or or whatever in your, in your personal life, right? How can I be a display when I can't even... I put conditions on my love for him. How can I show God's unconditional love? 
Well, again, in the beginning, the word. Isaiah 55, another one to write down, 8 through 12. You've heard of this, but let's think of it a little differently. This reveals God's ways and that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we think, well, you know, it's just, yeah, God's ways are higher than mine. I can't, I can't think like God. I can't do like God. That's not what God is saying there. He's saying, come up to, see from my perspective, like Bailey was talking about, see above your circumstances and know that, and I'm not reading the whole scripture. You guys can read it, (laughs) that he promises that his word will accomplish its intent. It will not return void. What does that mean? It doesn't return void. If you speak God's word, if you begin to step into his way, higher way of thinking, it won't return void. It's going to work for you. Okay. It's not just something cute. So a lot of times when we experience anxiety in our, in our life, because we're, we're not sure where we're supposed to be or in our marriage, that a lot of times can stem from asking ourselves the wrong questions. How many of you do this? Man, that person at work, next time she says this, I don't know what's wrong with her. I'm going to say this. And then, oh, and then if she says this, then I'm going to tell so-and-so, hey, did you know what she said? How many of you do this, right? We do this, right? And then, well, I wonder, I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder if electricity is going to be on today or if I'm not going to have Mike to work. I wonder what's going to happen. Whatever you're doing, we ask questions that are wrong questions, don't we? So if that anxiety stems from asking wrong questions, those wrong questions are coming from a mindset that is not God's higher way of thinking. And that mindset says, think about the, pr- the problem. I'm going to talk about the problem. If I talk about it enough, I'm going to fix it. If I talk about it enough, it's going to go away. That is not God's highest way of living. So if we want to begin to practice the art of purposeful response, then we start by asking better questions. You can still ask the question, but now you're asking a better question. Because what, what I choose to think is 100% of my control. Do you guys know that? Do you know that you might have, I love what Brother Hagen says, you might have um, a bird fly over your head. You might cannot stop the thoughts from floating around, but you can sure enough keep them from making a nest on top of your head. Okay. You have a hundred percent control of what you are thinking. 100%. And here's what I've learned. And here's what God showed me over the years that inside my inside, what's happening inside here, 100% me. It's not 50, 50. Y'all know that it's hundred percent, hundred percent. When I choose to hundred percent align myself with God's higher way of thinking, when I begin to ask the better questions, that directly influences my outside. So many times we want to fix the outside, but the inside's still turmoil, isn't it? Nothing's happening here. There's no transformation right here. So our thoughts do influence our response. And just as a, a note of encouragement, because I know a lot of times people may think, oh my gosh, you have no idea what chaos my life is right now. I can't even begin to start doing this. Remember this. God created you as a masterpiece with a plan and a purpose from the beginning of time. Your reality right now, the reality of your circumstance, what's going on in your life right now, that is not indicative of the reality of your design. It's up to you to find out what God's design is for you. And it's up to you to realize that no matter what is happening out here, I can begin to sit with God in here, inside. And that is what's going to end up transforming my outside. Okay? So the mindset becomes purpose-focused instead of problem-focused. This is God's higher way of thinking. 
That's right. You know, we weren't created to think in reverse. See, what does that mean? That means you can't say, I'm not going to think something. It's just impossible. Okay, so it's real quick. Don't think about elephants. Don't think about how long their nose is. Don't think about how, don't think about those big old ears. Don't think about that. Don't think about their long, strong legs. Don't think about that little short tail. Don't think about their tusk. And don't think about how tough that skin is. What did you think about? You thought about elephants. Because you were not created to think in reverse. It is important that we always remember that we are created in the image of God. And the image of God is a creator God. So you're creating at all times. All right? Now, we may not be creating worlds. We're creating our world. Mm -hmm. I create our world with every time I open my mouth wrong. Yeah. So as <laughs> I didn't mean to agree so hard. Amen. <laughs> that woman God gave me, she's a blessing. So, yeah. So when you're when you're sitting there trying to stop thinking something, catch yourself, because all that's going to do is going to cause anxiousness and anxiety as you move, you know, throughout the night, wondering why you can't sleep. It's because, oh, don't think about that. Don't think about that. I don't, I don't want to treat her this way. I don't want to treat her this way. How do I want to treat her? That's what I want to think about. I want her to believe she's a queen. What do I have to do for her to believe she's my queen? It's not call her my old lady. Boy, I just fauches me. I ain't said that word since we were hanging out 100 years ago. But, man... You know, that is not how we handle things. So you want to jump back in here? Or do you want me you to know, move? I just, you're talking about, we, you know, we, we so often focus on the things that we don't want to think about. And, and I think that as a human, that is, that's natural for us to do that, right? When we were married at 17, did you know you could get married that young? <laughs> and make it? We were married 17. So we've been married 39 years. So that tells you how young we really are. So we, <laughs> we got married at 17. So. Wow, we didn't even know what it was like to adult yet. Anybody in here have 17, 18-year-old kids at home? <sighs> Are you thinking, I want you to adult, but you don't know how? So not only did... <laughs> yeah, find the balance, right? Yeah. So not only did we not know what it looked like, what it looked like to be an adult, we, we didn't have a clue about marriage. We weren't thinking... We should have been thinking about marriage, apparently, but we weren't. <laughs> So, so, but what was, but what we noticed was we were so self-focused. We were so self-focused because it was always about, if I can just, I just want to, I want to, if I can just make him change, if you would just be like me, then this marriage would be great. If, if you would just be like my family, how many know that when you marry somebody, you marry their family and they're never the same as your family. There's always differences. And I think God has a great sense of humor with that. Not you, you married into your family. <laughs> Again, are you from Oklahoma? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There's some, some stuff going on here. No, I'm kidding. So um, because our thoughts were so self-focused, what that does is that creates division instead of unity. Okay? So unity, a lot of times we think, well, we want to be unified. That means I have to, he has to be like me. Unity is not sameness. It is not sameness. He's created as a masterpiece, a one of a kind. Well, then that means I can't be the same masterpiece or we're not one of a kind. Okay. So there is differences there and it is 
because we're unique, that it is, it's the, the impact, as I'm trying to say, comes from our strengths and our differences coming together. So we loved each other, um, you know, but we were confused and very unhappy because we were fighting, but we were not fighting for unity. We were fighting for our own way. We were fighting to change each other so that I could be happy. I could be happy. That, so, yeah, and what we started doing to... Uh to kind of move that around or change it, make things go in the right direction was as we real, started realizing that we gravitate towards what we contemplate. So we wanted to start, you know, looking for the best, not looking for the worst. So this participation time, y'all ready? Participation. Right. Everybody right. wake up. So, no. <laughs> all right. I want everybody in here to count all the green things you can find on the count of three. One, two, three. Get up and look around. Green. Look around. Okay. What can you find this green? It can be hair. It can be shoes. It can be shirts. It can be anything that you can find. Of. Teeth. It could be teeth. Yeah, if you have broccoli What's in your teeth. green? Yeah. Okay. Anybody? All right. Now, how many red things did you see? <laughs> what? You didn't see the red? That's crazy. All right. Now, count all the red you can find. Start. One, two, three, go. Come on, count them. Count, count. Come on, you guys ain't counting. I can tell. Look, 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 look. What's red? I'll hold my fingers up. You can use them. (laughs) All right. Red. Show me red. Anybody? Okay. Now, did did you see a few more reds than you did greens? Now, be honest with me. Was all of it red? Was some of it maybe maroon? Pink, 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 shade of red. I pray to God it wasn't mauve. <laughs> no more mauve in a church. Yeah. Those days are over. So here's what you did. When you start looking for something, not only do you find it, you start to create it. Mm-hmm. That's why you counted the maroons and the off. Anything else, pinks, stuff like that. You start, that's close enough. I'll see that. Well, see, what we would do and what most couples do is I would leave my socks out. And she's like, oh, I can't believe you can't pick up his socks. And then she'd go in the bathroom like, seriously, the underwear and the towel still in here? And so after a few of those, you start looking for those things then. What else is he not doing at this house? He does nothing here. <laughs> <laughs> Praise the Lord. And, you know, so as long as that starts to perpetuate on each other, she gets madder and madder and mad at me. And then one day I walk in and I just say something I think is halfway funny. <laughs> okay. I was and crying beca- for the fireworks. So yeah. Because she was looking. Well, you did that wrong too. Right? So... What we started doing then is start saying, okay, yes, I'm going to speak for her in this moment. Yes, he doesn't pick nothing up. But you know, he goes to work for 10 hours a day so we can have the home. So maybe he does something. Maybe he makes sure the lawn gets mowed. Maybe he makes sure that the roof doesn't leak. So she starts looking for those things. And all of a sudden, I don't look as bad anymore. So, and I started doing the same thing. You know, it was like, originally it was, I never have underwear ready. By the way, it's the only cool thing about kids moving out. You can go looking for it. (laughs) 
<laughs> Kids in the house, you can't do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, Otto. You just <laughs> you're getting all the good gardener stuff, aren't you? <laughs> so basically, what we're saying is, is that. It doesn't have to true. You'll make it true if you're thinking wrong. Wrong thinking produces wrong thinking. Right thinking produces right thinking. And so when we started getting that right, things started to change. Yeah, and you know, throughout ages, I mean, if you are a student of history at all, the thought leaders, I don't care if it's if it was Buddha, if it was, it doesn't matter. There's some really good, you know, Aristotle, Aristotle. Whatever his name Aristocrates. was. Aristocrates. Aristocrates. <laughs> that's what I started to say. Aristocrates? I don't think that's right. Anyway, throughout, throughout the ages of philosophy and thought, they have all agreed that you do find what you're looking for. And what you're thinking about is what you will perpetuate. And King Solomon, who we can all accept very well because he is, was, um, you know, in the word of God. Um, he said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So we do gravitate towards what we think about. That's what that means. As a man thinks in his heart, remember what happens on the inside influences the outside. So if I'm always thinking problem, focus, problem, 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 I'm going to be pulled to the problems that do or do not exist in my marriage or in my life, anywhere else. Right? So the, the thing that Grant just mentioned about, it's just astonishing to me how we do this. And especially, I have a very detailed mind. I have a lot of words all the time going through my head. It's pretty exhausting to be in my head sometimes. and Or to be in my presence. <laughs> when they start coming out, it's really exhausting. But, you know, we do. We, we start to find those maroons. And we start having that narrative, don't we? We create a narrative in our, in our minds of what that other person isn't doing. Constantly, And then instead of asking and communicating and saying, hey, this is a story that's going through my head right now about you. Is this what you're really thinking? Are you really intentionally leaving your dirty underwear all over the place for me to pick up? When you start to have that conversation, guess what? That's really not the story. He's like, oh, gosh, babe, I, you know, I didn't even think about the fact that you have to pick that up. <laughs> right? So it's, it's don't allow yourself by being problem-focused to begin to create a narrative and a story for your spouse that maybe isn't really the story. Okay? You want your story to be a love story, don't you? You want to demonstrate unconditional love, right, to your spouse as part of your purpose as an individual. Well, don't begin to create your own narrative. So we are not saying up here today, I, I hope this is not coming across this way, but we are not saying that you don't have problems in your marriage, okay? There are things in life that are problems. What we're saying is begin to practice the art of not focusing on that problem but going beyond what do I really want? I don't want this in my marriage, so then what do I want so that I can begin to see that? Because I'm telling you, if you've got things in your life, if there's chaos, if there's trauma, and there's drama, and in a room this size, I know that there is. Those Goliaths, they are mean, and they are ugly, and they are loud, aren't they? And sometimes that external is yelling so loud at you, but this is why it is so important, like King David as a young shepherd boy did, that you begin to put God's word in your heart as early and often as you can, because then in the midst of that, of that Goliath, let's just call it what it is, that Goliath in your marriage or in your life, when it's yelling and screaming at you and you're feeling the heat of the battle and there's fear, you're shaking in your boots, what did David did? He said, I will say of the Lord, he is my God. I will say the Lord, you uncircumcised Philistine. Do you remember? Can you picture how powerful he was? He's a little guy, right? 
Goliath's huge. Goliath was way bigger. So you might have something in your marriage or your life that is way bigger. But if you begin to say, thus saith the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. I am created in his image. I am a masterpiece. I have value. I have a purpose. I have a plan from God. And that God is also going to protect me. And he's going to deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. Because any trouble that God is bringing, not God, any trouble that the enemy is bringing into your life is nothing but an uncircumcised Philistine. You speak to that. You use the authority of God's word. But if you don't have God's word in you, you can't speak it. So that's where you have to begin to understand. I don't just, I can't ask God for, you can't ask God for a miracle if you're starting, I think, maybe, you know. But when you have been in this for a while and you're just ignoring and not doing anything to change your inside, don't expect that to come out in power in the moment that you need it, right? So it's more about redirecting your mindset. It's not about... I'm not going to think about the elephant. I'm not going to think about, it's about redirecting. If I don't want to think about an elephant, what I do want to think about? I might be thinking about a beautiful horse instead. Let's just use animal analogies, right? Begin to redirect your thought. And you can do it. God has created in our minds the most powerful weapon, probably of everything he's created. The human brain is amazing. Because not only do we have choice with it, but we can create with it. And we can have authority and demand with it, right? The Holocaust survivor, Viktor Frankl, has a quote that I just love, and I think it speaks well into this, because we're talking about response, that time between when Goliath steps on that battlefield and what do I respond? Do I always respond the same way? Do I lash out, or do I choose to do something different? Between the stimulus or that trigger in your marriage and your response, there is space. According to Grant, it's point two five seconds, whatever it was, there is space in that space is our power to choose our response in that response lies our growth and our freedom. So response and yielding to that space is so incredibly important One of the things that Grant's mom used to say all the time that I adopted young in my 17-year-old wifely years was, (laughs) you want something bad enough, honey, you'll find a way. If you don't, you'll make an excuse. You know what that taught me? If I hear myself excusing all the time, all the time, all the time, I have to ask myself, why am I making an excuse for this? Why do I not want this bad enough? Because in all of God's word, there was a lot of reasons There was a lot of people that had rights to do things, right? There was a lot of reason to lash out and be not what God was asking them to be. But I don't see anywhere in God's word where I'm allowed to excuse my responsibility to align myself with his word and to sit with him and ask, God, what do you say about this? So don't make an excuse. Don't excuse yourself from that responsibility. Sit with God and ask the better question. Because the more we can welcome the unity that God has given us in marriage, the more that we can welcome this mindset, the better that we can be a visible display to the hurting and confused world of what marriage is supposed to be. And we can start layer upon layer, line upon line, precept upon precept, a little bit every day, a little bit every day. Yeah, we want to wind it up. Pretty quick here because we want to honor our time. 
There's a story of an old Cherokee Indian sitting there with his grandson, and he said, There's inside every man is two wolves. One wolf is bitter, envy, strife, and anxiety. The other wolf is love, peace, joy. And the little boy says, Well, Grandpa, which one wins? He said, It's the one that you feed. We're feeding the wrong wolf in our marriage. So I just hope that some of this meant something that you can take one piece and we try not to make it too in depth so you don't have to worry about two pieces. Just take that one. Just take one piece. Change one thing at a time. We love being here. You, By default, we love you because they love you. So we look forward to getting to know more of you, and uh, thank you very much.